All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fabulous edition of Torah Studies. It is great to have you here, both in person and online. This is uh, a fabulous way to spend our Wednesday nights together studying Torah. All right, so this week's Torah portion is Vayigash, and we have quite the class today, quite the conversation. The class is all about communication. In fact, we are calling this a master class in communication. What is a master class, you ask? A master class is a name in modern times that's been given to a class that kind of presents like the ultimate about how to do something. So this is like a master class in communication from whom? Not from me, I'm just sharing this information. But who's giving this class tonight? Joseph. Joseph of Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat fame, right? Joseph, he is going to teach us how to communicate. But first, before we learn from Joseph, I wish to communicate to you a welcome. Welcome, Ray. Welcome, Steve. Welcome, Adina Malka. Welcome, Steve. Welcome, Mom. Welcome, Donna. Welcome, David. Welcome, Donna. Welcome, Fred. Welcome, Paul. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome, David. Welcome, Yona. Welcome, Lisa, and welcome, Ariella. It is great to see you all. Welcome, Linda, and welcome, Sandrine. And it is a party. Okay, so the story of Joseph, as you know by now, if you don't know, why don't you know? But as you probably know, the Joseph story is my favorite. Oh, are those the books? Nice. Nice. It's a great book. Speaking of books, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. We'll talk about that later. So Joseph is my favorite narrative. It's about a guy who gets a raw end, a raw deal in life and who makes the most out of it. What was that line that we had somewhere? When life gives you lemons, make latkes? Make lemonade. No, yeah, right? <laughs> Where was it? I saw that somewhere. Yeah, in one of the Chabad... Uh, oh, Chabad Orgimels. Yes, Chabad Orgimels. When life gives you lemons, make latkes. How does it make sense? Whatever. You have to figure out the context to make your own context. Whatever. But. Shtisel. Make lemonade. Yeah. That's the classic. That is the Whatever. If life gives you lemon, make rain. I don't know. Okay. So back, back to the story. So the story of Joseph is about a guy who has a lot of challenges, but who rises to the top. This week's Torah portion kind of uh, brings the Joseph-focused saga to its completion as we read about the, um, the final reconciliation, if you will, or the final, um, the big reveal where, jo where Yosef finally reveals his identity to his brothers. But let me just give a very quick recap of what went on. When he was 17 years old, his brothers kidnapped him and sold him as a slave to Egypt. Joseph ends up, Yosef, Joseph ends up in Egypt, and there he's working for a guy named Potiphar. Um, he does well. Eventually, he's framed for a crime that he didn't commit. He's thrown in prison. His uh, reputation grows as a dream interpreter. At some point, Pharaoh himself has some dreams that he needs explanation for. So he hears about Joseph. They bring him out of the pit, out of the dungeon. And next thing you know, he is successfully interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, and Pharaoh appoints him as viceroy. Well, 
part of the story is that there are seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine and they were saving up food from the years of plenty for the years of famine. Long story short, the years of famine hit and now, ironically enough, Joseph's own brothers, his own family, his flesh and blood, the same ten brothers that sold him as a slave are now coming down to Egypt to buy food. And who do they stand in front of? Joseph. They don't recognize him. He's now, it's 20 years later, he's now 37. He was 17 before. He was a little kid, relatively little. Now he's 37. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He's dressed like a Egyptian royalty. He's the viceroy. They have no, there's no context in which they can recognize him as being their brother. Well, he, dis, he begins speaking with them harshly, accusing them of being a spy. He asks them about their family. Yo, who are you guys? You guys are spies. Tell me about your family. He said, okay, we have a, our father is living in... Canaan. And there are 12 of us, 10 here, one is gone, that was Joseph who they were speaking to, which they didn't know, and one is at home. Benjamin's at home. Aha, he says, you have a little brother at home, bring him to me. They go home, they tell their dad, we got to bring Benjamin. He says, no way, back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, Judah says, I guarantee his safe um, voyage, send him, send Benjamin with me and I will bring him back to you. Well, Benjamin goes back with the brothers. So now there's 11 brothers in Joseph. Now it's a family reunion, although they don't know it yet. Um, all 11 brothers are there standing in front of Joseph, and they have a nice conversation, a nice meal. Anyway, as they head out, Joseph plants, has someone plant his royal goblet in the bags, in the luggage of Benjamin. Then the authorities catch up with Benjamin, with, with, the, with the brothers, and say, one of you stole the royal goblet. It turns out it's in Benjamin's bag. They, don't ha they have no idea how it got there. Well, we know how because it was planted in his bag. Joseph said, put it there secretly. Anyway, they have no idea what's going on. They have no idea how that happened. And now Benjamin stands to be incarcerated. The one kid that Judah told his father, I guarantee his safety and, and, and safe voyage. And now he is being held in Egypt. So Judah, at the beginning of this week's Torah portion, by Yigash, love Yehuda, Judah approaches Joseph and says, listen, Let's rewind how we got here. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get on the same page of, of why, why this is all happening and understand that we didn't do anything wrong and we're not guilty of anything. And either way, we got we to make this right. So I want to jump into the texts. And, and let's not lose sight of what today's class is. Today's class is all about communication, how to communicate effectively, especially when you have something difficult to say. How do you say something difficult? in a healthy way. That is today's conversation. I think it's a relevant topic. Yes, relevant topic. How to say something difficult in a healthy way. Okay, it's one of these things. So let's jump into the text. I'm going to share my screen with you. And you have it here in your text, text 1A and 1B. We're going to do in a moment. So let's get this. Let's get this up. Hold on. Give me a second, please. Okay, here we go the end of the class here. Let's rewind to the beginning. All right, text 1A. Let's ask Adina Malka. Adina Malka, if you are up to it, please read text 1A. This is page, whatever's up there, page uh, 151. Then Judah approached him and said, Please, my lord, let now your servants speak something into my lord's ears. And let not your wrath be kindled against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. All right, so that's how Judah approaches Joseph and says, we gotta, we got to make a resolution here. We can't leave Benjamin here and go back home without him. 
I promised dad, I promised my father that I would bring him back. So he's, he says, let's have a conversation about this. So Judah's approaching Joseph. He doesn't know the Joseph. He's approach, approaching the viceroy and saying, let's have a schmooze. But he, look what he says, that line over here, let not your wrath be kindled against your servant. In other words, I want to have a conversation, but don't get angry at me. Why is he saying, don't get angry at me? So Rashi explains text 1b. Okay, Adina Malka, if you will, please continue. And let not your wrath be kindled. From here you learn that he spoke to him harshly. He was saying to him, don't get upset about what I'm about to say, meaning he was about to be very tough with him. Judah, in advocating for his baby brother Benjamin, for his safety, Judah is prepared, not only prepared, he, he engages in some real talk, some real talk with, uh, with this viceroy guy who is actually his brother. Okay, so he is prepared to have a harsh conversation to put his foot down and to demand Benjamin's release. <coughs> but as I mentioned a moment ago, a few moments ago, Judah in his dialogue and, or in his monologue kind of with Joseph kind of recounts the story about how they got, got into this predicament in the first place. Like, why, why are we here? Why, how did we get here? This is text number two. This is the continuation of the narrative. Let's ask Donna Herbert. Please read text number two, with, beginning with verse 19. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an old father and a young child of his old age, and his brother is dead, and he is left alone of his mother, and his father loves him. And you said to your servants, bring him down to me, and I will set my eyes upon him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he leaves his father, he will die. So now, please let your servant stay instead of the boy as a slave to my Lord. And may the boy go up with his brothers. For how will I go up to my father if the boy is not with me? Let me not see the misery that will befall my father. This is Judah's plea to the viceroy of Egypt. He says, you asked about the family. We told you about our father. We told you about our missing brother. We told you about Benjamin. You asked for Benjamin. We said it's not a good idea. You pushed. We delivered Benjamin. We, we, we can't go back home without Benjamin. His father's gonna, our, our father is going to die. It's going to kill him. It's going to kill our father. Okay. At this point, at this point, we need to think about what Joseph, who's pretending not to know these guys, what Joseph is thinking and how Joseph might react. Right? If you were Joseph, this is 22 years later. 22 years, he's 39 now. Joseph is now 39. He was sold as a slave by his 10 brothers, 10 older brothers. He was sold as a slave. Um, 22 years prior at the age of 17. He's now 39. He's the viceroy of Egypt. He's done very well for himself. He's the CEO of a country. And uh, the CEO, the CFO, whatever it is, he's got uh, prime he's <laughs> prime minister, viceroy, whatever you want to call Vice. I don't know who else is called a viceroy. He was also a tennis player. You know about this? Yeah? Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. <laughs> Come on, guys. How did you not see that joke coming? Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. You with me? All right. Okay. Back. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Ariella. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, how would Joseph react? 
At this Hannah. point, yes. Well, it says here and now, Joseph emphasized the now. Until this moment, he had surely blamed them for an, an inhuman betrayal. But now he understood that they had been tools in God's hand. Okay, so that... Good, good. So that's a, that's that's a good that's that's a, that's a solid interpretation. But what I'm saying from a, on a human level, you might think that at this point Joseph would, you know, would rip into these guys if he's about to reveal his identity. You would imagine he would say, "I'm Joseph. You guys are terrible. You guys are the bad guys. You guys are the villains. Like, how dare you do? How dare you do what you did to me? You know, I, I survived despite what you wanted, etc., etc., etc." You would think. I would cry. You would cry. Okay. Good. It's very, different reactions. Different reactions. But but Joseph would be forgiven for um, harboring resentment and for uh, um, you know kind of attacking on some level, attacking his brothers who put him through such absolute terror for all these years. Um, what actually happened? Let's continue with the narrative. Uh, yes, Mark. But what about, burn me once, shame on me, shame on you, burn me twice, shame on me. Continue, explain, explain, <laughs> so yes. Burn, burn me once, yeah. uh, shame on you. Yeah. Burn me twice, so let somebody burn you a second time, yeah. uh, shame on me. Now I understand the meaning, yeah. but what's, what's the context? How, how would you fit it into the context here? In other words, why did he say, it's not going to happen again. Mm. I'm not letting these guys get me in the pit again. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Probably, I would imagine, if you're the viceroy of Egypt, you probably have some muscle at your yeah. right and at your left. I'm just going to say, you probably have some royal bodyguards and you probably have some, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, that, that protects you. Exactly. All right, you're so let, let's, yeah, 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 exactly. Let's see how Joseph actually does react. And we're going to analyze this and ask a bunch of questions. So let's jump into our text. Once again, this is text number three. This is just a straight-up continuation of the narrative at the beginning of this week's Torah portion. Text number three, page 153 in your booklets. Um, let's ask, let us ask Donna, the other Donna, not the other Donna, Donna um, to please read this text. Now, Joseph. Now Joseph could not bear all those standing beside him, and he called out, Take everyone away from me. So no one stood with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept out loud, so the Egyptians heard, and the house of Pharaoh heard. <clears throat> and Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him because they were startled by his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me, and they drew closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. So here's what I want to do with this text. I want everyone to, I'm going to keep it up on the screen, and you have the booklets here in person. I want everyone to look at these four verses, and you come up with as many questions as you can. I have at least, hold on, let me think how many questions I have. I have, hold on, hold on, one to maybe three. I have a couple of questions on this text, and I want you to tell me your question. Before I tell you mine, I want you to tell me yours. What are your questions on this text, on Joseph's response over here? Well, number two, he wept out loud so the Egyptians heard. I would wonder what the feeling of the Egyptians were if they 
know, okay, good, so good, good. Okay, good. What else? What else? Give me more questions. Number three, he says, is my father still alive? But they already told him, yes, your father's alive because if we don't come back with Benjamin, it'll kill him. So why is he saying, is he still alive? Excellent, excellent, excellent question. In fact, that is one of my questions. Joseph, verse 3, right? It's still up here on the, on the screen. It's in front of you here in person. Joseph said to his brothers, Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. Ha'od Avichai, is my father still alive? Is my father still alive? Bro, Ju Judah just had a very impassioned conversation with you about the necessity to bring Benjamin back home because otherwise it's going to kill my father. So what's he asking? Is my father still alive? Is dad still alive? You know the answer. In fact, if you look through the narrative, we, we're only, look, look, we, there's Torah studies, we pull, in, we pull out excerpts and we, you know, we're, we're analyzing. If you look at the whole, the whole <laughs> Joseph narrative, the interaction between him and his brothers at the time that they didn't know that it was Joseph they were speaking of. Joseph, Joseph and the brothers speak about their father, Jacob, about a dozen times in various contexts. He says, tell me about your family. Well... We have a father, we have one brother that's gone, and one brother's at home. They mentioned the father as being alive. He asked them multiple times, how is your father? And they answer him multiple times, he's doing well. J um, Judah, as we had in text 1a, Judah says, I need to bring the kid back home to his dad. Clearly, the dad was alive. So what is verse 3? Joseph says, this is the big reveal. The big reveal. I am Joseph. The viceroy of Egypt is saying, FYI, I'm Yosef. I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? You kidding me? It's like, is the sky blue? Yes. Is my father still alive? Yes. And we've been talking about that. What a, what a redundant question. Now that's one question. Any, any other questions? Give me, more. Give me a question on, 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 on the fourth verse here. Give me a question on verse four. Why did he have to say, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt? Oh, 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 wait, wait, so. He said I'm Joseph. Wait, say it again, say it again. He already said I'm Joseph, is my father still alive? Excellent. So why did he have to say, I'm your That's brother That's my Joseph. second question. Excellent. Verse 3, Joseph says, I am Joseph. Verse 4, he says, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Why the repetition? Why the broken record? I just repeated myself, right? Why is he saying it twice? What's the point? He said it once, I am Joseph. Then he says again, I'm your brother Joseph. And why the first time does he just say, I am Joseph? Can I add on a third question? Sure. I'm giving myself permission. Why the first time does he say, I am Joseph? And the second time he says, I'm your brother, Joseph. Whom you, and then why does he add whom you sold into Egypt? Is that, the, as Mark likes to say, the twist of the knife? Is that, is that what's going on here? He's saying, I'm not just Joseph. I'm your brother, Joseph, who you sold into Egypt, right? You guys are not looking so good now, right? Mr. Righteous Brothers. Yeah, sure. Uh, like the Wright Brothers. No, that's somebody else. Anyway, right? So, so this is, is this Joseph trying to like give them a, a, a twist of the knife and saying, ah, so three questions. I said two, maybe three. It turns out we have three questions. I'm going to review the questions. We're about to get to some 
incredible ideas from the commentaries. But let's just make sure we all have the questions clear so that we know what we're answering. Question number one, and it's all, all the questions are on Joseph's, what we call Joseph's confession. Why confession? Uh, confession? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. It's, uh, it's the language that's used in, 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 term, in, in analysis on this. Joseph's confession, because he was, a, he was confessing to the fact that he wasn't just the viceroy of Egypt, he was Joseph. This whole time, he accused them of being spies. He sent them back and forth on missions to bring down Benjamin. He planted goblets in their bags and accused them of theft. I mean, and now he says, oh, by the way, I'm Joseph. All of this was me. Huh? Revelation. Revelation. Call it Revelation. So I want to focus on, this. so the three questions are, number one, when he reveals his identity, why does he add in the question, is my father still alive? That, we already know that answer a dozen times. Number two, why does he reveal himself as Joseph a second time? He says in verse 3, I am Joseph. In verse 4, he again repeats it that he's Joseph. Question number 3 is, why in the second revelation, Revelation 2, I feel like that's another religious uh, text, but anyway, why in the second, not book, why in the second confession or revelation to his brothers does he add in the phrase, brother, I am your, your brother, I am your brother, Yosef? Joseph, and he also adds in whom you sold into Egypt. Why are those necessary? Why are those relevant? What is the meaning behind those? Three questions. Make sense? All right. So I want to share with you three explanations. We're going to explore three complete, complete, three different explanations that span the spectrum of Jewish thought and Jewish analysis, and biblical commentary. Each a beautiful interpretation on, in its own right, each a beautiful commentary. But ultimately, we're going to get to the third, one, two, and then three. And the third is going to be the one, hopefully, that has a lot of take-home messages for you and I. Answer number one. Answer number one is going to address the question of why does Joseph ask about his dad his dad's well-being if he knows his dad is fine. Answer number one comes from the, uh, comes from the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel, the great 15th century so scholar, philosopher, a commentary. The Abarbanel explains that Joseph was simply, and, and you, you may or may not like any of these answers or whatever it was, uh, and when I say like, you may prefer one over the other, and that's fine, that's why we're giving a bit of a of a, of a potpourri of answers. The Barbanel says that Joseph was engaging his brothers in conversation. In other words, so as not to startle them, so as not to frighten them, so as not to freak them out too much, he engages them in a conversation, how's dad? He knows that his father is still alive, but he figures after dropping this news, of, I'm, I'm Joseph after 22 years, this guy that's giving you the runaround, this, this viceroy of Egypt is actually your long lost brother. After that shocker, he figured, let's just, you know, have small talk. How's the weather? How's dad? You know, that sort of thing. Let's see this response inside. I'm going to share my screen and let's jump right into this text. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I skipped this one. I'll read this quickly. Text number four is the question that I asked. Question number one. One can ask, why does Joseph ask, is my father still alive? If already prior to revealing himself to his brothers, he had inquired about their father's welfare, so obviously, uh, so he obviously knew Jacob was still alive. Okay, that was question number one. We had two more questions. Well, why didn't he go visit him? That's, a, that's, another, that's another question. That's another, we're, not, we're not up to there yet. That's, that's another question. But right now we have, on, on specifically Joseph's revelation, on his confession, we have three questions. Question number one, why is he asking about his dad? Question number two, why is he re revealing his identity twice? And why in the second time does he add in details, br your brother, and you sold him to Egypt? Okay, so the Barabanel gives an answer to the first question. Why ask about that? Let's do this one inside. I'm going to read this one. Text number five, page 155. This then is the reason Joseph asked, is my father still alive? He wasn't actually determining whether or not their father was still alive, for they already said so, to which he had already responded, how is your elderly father faring? They already discussed their father multiple times. He asked them, do they have a father? They said, yes. How's he doing? They said, fine. They, there was already conversations about that. Rather, Joseph, and, and this is what I mentioned a moment ago, Joseph was trying to enter into conversation as he knew his brothers would be ashamed and would not wish to discuss the sale. Imagine if Joseph just said, hey guys, big reveal, the masked singer, boom, I'm Joseph. Right? Imagine if he just says, pop said, I'm Joseph. The brothers were probably like, oh, you're Joseph? Oh, we're so sorry for selling you as a slave. They would probably talk about the sale. Joseph doesn't want, to, doesn't want them to talk about the sale because, you know, let bygones be bygones. So he wants to have another conversation. So he mentions the first thing that comes to his mind, which is that. He says, I'm Joseph. Let's talk about that. Just to shift the conversation into neutral territory. So he opted back inside, so he opted to discuss other matters, choosing to start with their father's welfare. Now, let's continue the Abarbanel, second paragraph. Joseph intended to thereafter inquire about their families and household matters. He was going to ask them, Joseph fully intended to have a family schmooze, so that they wouldn't be all defensive and talk about the sale. Forget the sale. How's dad doing? Are you guys married? How are your families? Do you guys have kids? That they would start having a family conversation, much like any family that gets together, you know, would have a family conversation. So look back inside, let's start again in the second paragraph. Joseph intended to thereafter inquire about after the families and household matters, but refrained from doing so when he saw how shocked they were. So when he saw that they were shocked, he just, he ended with the question about their father. He says, I'm Joseph, I'm Yosef, his father's still alive, or how's dad? And then he saw that they couldn't even answer that first question, so he didn't continue pressing, saying, how are you guys? Are you guys married? Are you guys have kids? You know, what's the family like? You know, how are the parks and where you live? How, how are the schools? He didn't, he didn't jump into that stuff because they kind of, they just froze. So that's when he moved on and to verse 4 that we had before, and we'll, we'll elaborate on that a little bit later. So that's, that's the Abarbanel. Abarbanel basically says, that why, why does he ask about his father? Not because he didn't know, but because he was trying to engage in conversation. And in a very similar fashion, we have this elsewhere in Torah. Right after the sin of Adam and Eve, God speaks to Adam. And you know what God says to Adam? What are the first words out of God's mouth to Adam after the sin? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And the commentators say, what, God doesn't know? 
Right. Adam, Adam escaped the GPS, the God positioning system. Like, is that even possible? No. Of course not. So why does he say, where are you? He was engaging in conversation. Hey, how's it going? How you been? Where you, what you been up to? It's not where are you because I don't know where you are. I can't find you. It's kind of like, where are you? Where are you? Well, that's, that's, there is an implication there of like, where are you? Like, what have you done? But it's also the typical understanding is it's just a, 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 con, a, a, a conversation starter. Let's actually read this in text 6a and 6b. So this is from Genesis 3.9, opening Torah portion of Bereshit. It says, and the Lord God called to man, Adam, and he said to him, where are you? Let's see um, the, the understanding of this as Rashi explains, where are you? So Rashi says, God knew where Adam was. But he asked him this to enter into conversation with him, lest he be frightened to answer if he should punish him suddenly. If God said, imagine if God said, instead of where are you, imagine if God said, gotcha, <laughs> you're busted. How dare you? Adam would have completely shut down, and that would have been it. So he engaged him in conversation. Where are you? What you been up to lately? Just to get into conversation, to have a dialogue. Uh, Ra- it's, a, it's the first time new was used. Yeah, exactly. New, good, right? It's, that's how we know God is Jewish, right? He said new. Anyway, and, and Rashi continues. We're in the middle of this Rashi. Rashi says the same thing is true with Cain. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain killed his brother Abel, his younger brother. So with Cain, God said to him, where is your brother Abel? God says, where is your brother? He had killed his brother. God knew what happened. And so, but he was, again, just engaging in the dialogue, starting that dialogue. And so with Balaam, huh? Where is your brother? Right. Well, that's, that's, right. that's another way of saying, like, where's your brother? Like, is there, something I sh- is, there something you mean- is there something you want to tell me about your brother? And so with Balaam, God says, uh, um, so Balaam is that, the wicked prophet who is trying to, wishes to curse the Jewish people, but he's not sure if he should take the job to curse the Jewish people. And God says to him, oh, who are these men with you? Um, and then he says, oh, they've, they've come to ask me if I'll curse the Jewish people. Should I go or not? Basically, God asks, who are these men? Not that God doesn't know, but same reason for the purpose of entering a conversation with them. So we have here three examples. Adam, Cain, and Balaam. Three biblical examples where God is asking a question when the answer is known, but it's to engage in conversation. And the same thing is true, according to the Barbanel, right here. Same thing is true here. Joseph asks a question, is my father still alive? That he very well knows the answer to. He's raising the question, or he's asking the question, just to engage in a dialogue to, ha- to kind of break the ice on that conversation. Now, it doesn't work because they totally freeze up, so he has to switch gears, but that was his intention. Okay, does this make sense? As opposed to saying, what did you do? Good. That's an accusation. Right. What did you do? Right. How could you do this? What right. were you thinking? Right. Do you know how much difficult? Instead of, you know, laying into them, he says, how, how is my father still alive? So engaging in a conversation. So this is according to Barbanel. Do we like this answer? Does it make sense? Yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes. It's decent. I can think of another interpretation. Go, Fred. Uh, uh, Joseph and his father were in the habit of studying Torah together. So without Torah study, is one fully alive? Nice. Maybe he was asking about his Torah study. Look, Fred, look at you. 
You got to write a commentary. Fred, <laughs> seriously, we tell you every Shabbos, you got to write this stuff down. This is good stuff. Fred's giving us good material. Um, Fred is saying, Torah is life. It's a tree of life, the Torah is, to those who hold on to it. So, and Jacob, dad, was always studying with Joseph, but not for the last 22 years. So maybe he was, he's asking now, you told me about his biological life. You told me that he's okay physically. But how is he spiritually alive? Is he studying Torah? Fred, I'm elaborating on your commentary. I hope you don't mind. So, right, he's he's inquiring about his spiritual welfare. Maybe that's, I like it. You know what? Tonight, we have four interpretations. Look at that. Look at that. The three that I intended, plus one. Good. I want to share with you another interpretation. All right. I have one more. Yeah, good. Mark, everyone wants to get on this. Yes, Mark. No, this is what I was going to say. In fact, I looked this up. Long story short, the question was, is my father still alive? It's, he's living, but is he still alive? Mm. That's what you were just now saying. Yes. And so my kibbutz. Yes. But my reason for the question is different. That Jacob was living and alive with Benjamin there. And, and I looked in, the, I looked in, the, in my Rashi, and, and several times it says, it will, several times it says, it will kill him. If Benjamin right. does, doesn't come back. And, right. and Jacob says, by hoariness, it's, it's killing me that you're taking Benjamin and not bringing him back. So the question is, was he thrown into such despair that he was still living? With Benjamin he, now he being in peril as well. Stroke or whatever, but is he not okay. really alive? Okay, good, 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 good. I, 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 I hear that. I, I think that's a, that's, a good, that's a good companion to what Fred said. Good. Perfect. I like it. Let's, let's introduce a new interpretation. And this new interpretation, again, we have to have, when we study Torah, we have to have an, an open mind. And I say this because sometimes there are commentaries that are similar, but very different. And, and I encourage you to kind of, for the purposes of absorbing it, Kind of siphon, not siphon, um, um, just create a barrier between one interpretation and the second just so you have clarity. So we're not mixing, it's not a chalent, it's different, 70 fast, it's different, different interpretations, different perspectives. So we had, um, we had one interpretation that he was engaging in conversation. We had another interpretation saying, is he actually alive, you know, phys- uh, uh, spiritually or, or with Benjamin now? Okay, good. We have a new interpretation now, third or second or third interpretation. And that is that Joseph was expressing wonder and astonishment at the fact that their father was still alive. He wasn't asking, is my father still alive? He was, at, he was asking, how is my father still alive? That same phrase, is my father still alive? Insert one word before that, which is how. And it becomes a different question. Not, is my father still alive, but how is my father still alive? Being that, or seeing that, he has lived with being separated from me. He, he's, he, he's been living with, with the loss of me for 22 years. How is my father still alive? You told me a dozen times about that. I know that he's alive, 
But my question now, Joseph is saying, say, according to this interpretation, the question now on the table is, not is Jacob still alive, but how is dad still alive? How is that possible? And where does this interpretation get its energy from? It gets its energy from the opening letter of Joseph's words. Joseph says, Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. And then he says, Ha od, Ha od Avichai. He doesn't say od Avichai, which would mean his father still alive. He says, Ha od still Ha od Avichai. Ha od means almost how could father still be alive? How is it possible? What, what, what's the question based off of? It's based off of a powerful idea in Judaism. There's a powerful teaching in Judaism that says that when a person loses a loved one, when a loved one passes away, there is a special gift from above that allows a person, allows the relatives here on earth to ultimately, after a process, to ultimately be able to continue on. There is a, there is a natural process which, is coming, which, is, which emanates from a divine <laughs> blessing that allows the relatives that remain to be able to at some point move on and continue to live with the absence of their loved one who passed away. But that gift, I'm calling it a gift, the gift of being able to, to heal, the gift of healing is only given when there is an actual loss of life. But when, when the loved one is still alive, but just missing, so they don't forget. Even on a psychological level, right? There's no closure. There's no closure. There was never, if we want to speak in very grub, which is Hebrew Yiddish for very um, coarse language, they never, they never recovered a body. They ne there was no body. There was no body. J Jacob never buried his son. There's no body. And without a body, there's no closure. All they found was this coat of many colors with blood stains on it. They... There was no body. And, and according to the commentaries, without this closure, two things. On a human psychological and emotional level, the grief remains. The grief remains. And on a spiritual level, God's blessing of, of closure and moving on is not given. The God's blessing of healing is not given because there was no loss of life here. Right? It's only the, he the, the healing is only when there's a loss of life. There was no loss of life. So there's no blessing of healing. So on both levels, the spiritual level and the practical level, the psychological, emotional level, there's no healing here. There's no moving past. So, for, so understand what I'm saying. I'm trying to make one point. We, I, I'm, I'm moving around this point, but let me, let me hone back in on this one point. For 22 years, for two, over two decades... Jacob was in a state of acute pain. The pain of that original moment of, of seeing that bloody coat in front of him. He had been in that same state of grief, that same state of, of loss 
for 22 years. There was no closure. There was no blessing. He was in that state of pain, which is why 22 years later, as Joseph reveals his identity, he has one question for his brothers. Not, is father still alive? But how is it possible that after 22 years of grieving and grieving deeply, not grieving post-closure, but grieving without any closure, how could father still be alive? Take a look at text 7a and 7b. I'm going to read these inside so you can see where this commentary is based on. How is it possible? Oh, so once I, I, know, your, I know your question. We've talked about it. I, I don't know that I'm going to give you a good answer for it. Um, but let's, let's, let's focus on this right now. Text 7a. The Torah tells us, this is two weeks ago, at when Joseph's coat was recovered. I mean, he wasn't killed, but when the coat was brought to Jacob, the bloody coat, he grieved, he mourned. And all his sons, listen to this, all his sons and his daughters, this is Jacob's sons and daughters, arose to console him, but he refused to be consoled. There was no closure. When somebody loses a loved one, they pass away, God forbid. There's closure and there's a blessing of healing and there's ultimately, ultimately, not immediately, but ultimately consolation. In fact, the Shiva, a whole Shiva, seven days of mourning, and, and, and what's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is for others to visit the mourner and to offer nichum, nich to be to menachem avol, nichum avelim, to give comfort, to bring comfort to the one who experienced the loss. And the comfort is at, on some level accepted, and it's more accepted as time goes on. Jacob refused to be consoled. On a spiritual level, there wasn't the blessing of, of moving on. On a practical level, there was no body. There was no closure. 7b, Rashi explains this, but he refused to be consoled. Why, Rashi says, no one accepts consolation for a person who is really alive but believed to be dead. For it is decreed that a dead person should be forgotten from the heart. And that sounds harsh, but it doesn't mean forgotten. It means that there should be closure and moving on, but not a living person. When the person is still alive, there's no closure, and ultimately there's no consolation. The pain is acute. The pain is, in its full measure, for the entire duration until there is some sort of closure, which gets me back to this third interpretation. Second or third, depending on how you're counting, right? Why is Joseph asking about their father? He knows he's alive. He's not asking about, he's not asking if he's still alive. He's saying, how is my father still alive? Not, is he alive? How? How? How is father still alive? How is it possible after 22 years of refusing to be consoled, 22 years of the acute original pain every single day, no closure, no body, no blessing, no healing from above or from, from, from below, how is he still alive? It's more an expression of, of astonishment. It's a rhetorical question. He wasn't expecting the brothers to answer the question. Break it down for me. How, how is he, how, what has he been doing the last 22 years? It's not a question that, 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 re, that, that demands an answer. It's a rhetorical expression, question of astonishment. How is that still alive? I want to move on to the, to the final perspective. I told you before we have multiple perspectives. We have even more than I started with. This is my third, our fourth interpretation 
of the night, and this is the one that we're going to end with and hopefully walk away with some practical communication messages for us. To understand this, this final interpretation, we have to read a piece of the Talmud, which is very perplexing. The Talmudic uh, excerpt is found in text number 8, on page 326. I'm going to read this. Uh, sorry, page 158. I'm going to read this. The Talmud says that when Rabbi Elazar reached this verse, which verse? The verse that we're talking about, when Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. When Rabbi Elazar reached this verse, he cried. The Torah says, and his brethren, Joseph's brethren, could not answer him for they were affrighted at his presence. He said, affrighted, they were frightened, shamed, whatever it was. He said, Rabbi Elazar said, if the rebuke of a man of flesh and blood was such that the brothers were, un were unable to respond, when it comes to the rebuke of the Holy One, blessed be he, all the more so. Imagine. The brothers are confronted by their brother Joseph and they can't, there's nothing they can say. There's nothing they can say. Can you imagine what's going to happen after 120 years when we have to face God? Yeah? Can you imagine what that's going to look like? If they couldn't answer a human being of flesh and blood, how could any of us answer God? So he, whenever, he read, whenever he came up to this verse, he would cry, bitter tears, thinking about Facing Hashem, facing God Almighty. If the brothers couldn't even face Joseph, how can we face our Creator? How can we face our Creator and the brothers couldn't even face their brother Joseph's rebuke? He uses an interesting language. I just mentioned it now, rebuke. The rebuke of a man of flesh and blood, right? Rebuke. I, I actually have a question on this piece of Talmud. What kind of rebuke? When did Joseph rebuke the brothers? I don't, I don't remember Joseph rebuking the brothers. All he said was, I am Joseph, his father's still alive. What kind of rebuke? So I want to share with you a perspective from the Malbim. This will be our final, our final interpretation. The Malbim says something powerful. What Joseph was telling the brothers, listen, listen to this. What Joseph was telling the brothers. So he says, I am Joseph. And then he says, his father's still alive. What does he mean, according to this final interpretation? Again, it's different. Silo it off. It's a different interpretation. Joseph was saying to his brothers, how could you have done what you did to me? How could you have done this? N knowing, knowing the effect that it would have on father. Is my father still alive means... How, similar to how could my father still be alive, but how could father still be alive, but, more, but the inflection is more on how could you have done something to cause dad so much anguish for so many years. Let's take a look at this inside, text number nine. I'm going to share my screen with you right now. Inside the booklets, page 158. Why did they sell him into slavery? I can't remember. They were jealous. They were angry at him. Jealous. They thought they were jealous of his dreams and his coat and his favoritism, all that. Yeah. Okay, now I remember. The infamous coat. Yes. Let's take a look at the Malbim, Rabbi Meir Leibush Michal Wisser. He writes the following. This being startled, the brothers were startled, was a mixture of astonishment and fear. 
they were shocked that this guy was Joseph, and they were afraid. For when he said, I am Joseph, they feared revenge, as if he were saying, how could my father still be alive after all the pain you caused him by selling me? That was the rebuke. How could father still be alive after all the pain you caused him? So this is a third interpretation, and it's different than the previous, or fourth interpretation, different than the previous. We had one interpretation that said that it was just entering into conversation. Hey, how's that? Second, uh, the other interpretation was he, was he was speaking rhetorically and just wondering aloud, how could father still be alive after all these years of, of suffering? But this new interpretation is he was rebuking. He was rebuking the brothers. He was saying, how could father be alive after all the pain that you caused him? He was but kind then of, he understood that they were tools of Hashem. Yeah, yeah, ultimately, ultimately. But this is, as, as Rabbi Elazar, I'm just going to go back up on my screen, as Rabbi Elazar would read this verse, he would cry, because if human rebuke causes one to be speechless, how much more so divine rebuke? And my question was, well, where's the human rebuke? According to the Malbim, that's your rebuke. The rebuke is, how could you have done this to me, having caused, not, it's not about me. I, I'm okay with this. I look at it, you know what, Ray, we can interpret what you're saying also. Mitzad me, from my perspective, I'm okay with this. I was sent, I was on a mission. But what did you do to dad for 22 years? What did you do to dad for 22? Father was suffering, has been suffering for 22 years. And I know, Ray, your question is, well, how come Joseph didn't go back and tell him? And Joseph was also, it was also complicit in this, uh, in this crime against their father because he had the opportunity to send a messenger and to head back to his dad and say, I'm still alive. Surprise. He didn't. According to most commentaries, it's because on some level, if he, he knew that this is how the story had to play out. But either way, he's now subtly rebuking his brother, saying, how could you have sold me and caused anguish, such anguish for so, so many years to our father? This, my friends, is Joseph's method of rebuke. It's subtle. It's not blatant. He doesn't say, um, you guys are terrible, this and that. He doesn't make it about himself. He makes it about their father. He says, his father's still alive. In other words, did you think about that? Were you thinking about the, uh, how much pain has been caused to our father because of what you did 22 years prior? He's rebuking, but he's doing so in a little bit of a subtle way. But as we'll see soon, he also adds to it one more piece. Because as you recall, we asked more questions. And that was, or the other two questions were, why after Joseph reveals his identity, does he again in the next verse say, come, he says, come close. You know, let me pull, pull it up on the screen so you can see it. This is going all the way back to text number, I want to say three. Yeah, text three. So in, 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 uh, in verse three, <laughs> Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, my father's still alive. But they, they couldn't respond. And then Joseph says in verse 4, please come closer to me. And here we see that Joseph modified, sorry, Joseph mitigated or neutralized the rebuke with love. Verse 3 is the rebuke. He says, is father still alive? How could you sell me as a slave all those years ago? Not, not for my own. I'm not upset for me. I'm, 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 I'm concerned about, my, about our father. So that's verse 3, but when, it, when he sees that his brothers could not answer him because they were startled or they were shocked or they were shamed, so then Joseph approaches them with love. Look at verse 4 again, just to read verse 4. 
Joseph then said to his brothers, please come closer to me. This is an act of love. They drew closer, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph. Instead of saying, I am Joseph, he says, your brother. And asked people, why brother? Because he's saying, I still love you. I can, I, can, I can critique you. I can have an issue with what you did vis-a-vis dad, but I'm still your brother, and I still love you. This is the model of critique, the model of criticism. Criticism, right, critique, maybe criticism is too harsh. Critique or correction is effective when the other party knows that you love them. When they think that you're angry, when they think that you're mad, when they think that you're being judgmental, then they're not going to listen to you. When they know that they love you, now they're going to listen. So Joseph quickly modifies his rebuke, his subtle rebuke with, I'm your brother Joseph. And he says also, whom you sold into Egypt. In other words, I, it's legit. I'm Joseph. I'm really Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Only he would know that, that they sold their brother into Egypt because... How, how else would he know that if it wasn't really him? Let's see this in the commentaries, and then we're going to close out today's class, and I'll close it out with a lesson. Take a look at text number 10 from the Talmud. Rabbi Tarifin said, this is, this is now fast-forwarding on page 159. Rabbi Tarifin said, I would be surprised if there's anyone in this generation who can receive rebuke. Why? Because if the one rebuking, rebuking says to him, remove the splinter from between your eyes, in other words, get rid of a minor infraction, the other says to him, oh, me, I've got a problem, you got a problem, remove the beam from between your eyes, I, you've committed far more severe sins. In other words, anytime you try to criticize someone, they come back and say, oh, you think I have a problem, you have a bigger problem. No, everyone gets defensive. Yeah. But Rabbi Laz or Ben Azarius says, <laughs> the problem is not in the recipient. I would be surprised if there's anyone in this generation who knows how to rebuke correctly without embarrassing the person he is rebuking. The problem is not in the recipient of the rebuke not being able to take it. The problem is how it's given. When it's not given in a healthy way, when it's given in a judgmental, angry, hateful, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a negative way, then it's, it's, it's pushed back. When it's given in a loving way, then, then it's received. So now take a look at the next piece of the narrative, which Ray mentioned as well. Look at 11a. Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. They drew closer. This is what we had before. He said, I'm your brother, Joseph. So he makes it about love, whom you sold into Egypt, which is, again, corroborating that this is legit. But now he says immediately, verse 5, don't be sad. Let it not trouble you that you sold me here, for it was to preserve life that God sent me here, sent me before you. This is a mission from God. You didn't sell me as a slave. In other words, it's not, I'm not blaming you. Uh, for, on my, my end, it's, we're, all, we're all cool. I'm just concerned about dad. So he's, again, modifying and, and kind of cutting the rebuke. I said before about lemons and, and latkes, or lemons and lemonade. This is putting a little sugar into the lemon, right? Just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. The medicine go down, the medicine go down, as the old song says. Right? Just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. It's a Hasidic, a Hasidic tune as well. Joking. All right, text 11b. And this is the Torah. The Torah says, one of the authors of the Code of Jewish Law, he said, right, he says that Joseph now changed his demeanor and spoke to them in a friendly manner to draw them close. Take a look at the next text. The... Um, the uh, Arachayim says, I'm your brother Joseph. The reason he repeated the fact that he was Joseph a second time, which was our question before, was because he felt that there were two possible reasons why the brothers could not respond to him. Number one, they were afraid of him and could not answer him, just as a thief cannot answer when caught red-handed. And number two, they simply did not believe him when he claimed to be Joseph. So, this, so to dispel their fear of him, he stressed the words, your brother. 
in the, in, in the statement, in the second statement. In the next sentence, after he formed the impression that they had not believed him, he stressed the words, your brother whom you sold, indicating that even at the time they had sold him, he had not ceased feeling like a brother toward them. In other words, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold. Even while being sold, I still, feel like you're, I still felt like your brother. I never lost my love to you. And then he added the words whom you sold to Egypt as proof that it was really him, Joseph, for not even a prophet could have known that fact. They had just told him that the brother was missing. The fact that he knew that their, their brother was sold a slave to Egypt, that means that he was, he was that. And so let's look at the next text quickly. The Talmud says, the sages taught, it should always be the left, the weaker hand that pushes another away and the right, stronger hand that draws one near. Even as we need to criticize, critique, um, uh, admonish, correct, etc., that should always be with the, with the left hand, with the weaker hand. Or if you're a lefty, use your right hand. But just use your weaker hand. And the more dominant hand should be the loving, should be the side of, of love. Finally, one final text, and then I'm going to try to bring it all together. Text 13, the Rebbe writes the following. The teachings of Hasidut demand that before rebuking someone else, one should cut their nails so that people will not scratch each other. For the forces of klipa, negative energy, cling to the nails. Every prick unleashes klipa and other such negative energy. Before you rebuke, before you correct, before you admonish, before you say, well, make sure you cut your nails. Make sure you're not going to scratch. Make sure you're not going to poke. Make sure you're not going to hurt. It's not about hurting the other. If you want to correct the other, correct the other. Don't hurt the other. This is the lesson in communication that we learned from the story of Joseph and his brothers and Joseph's confession or revelation to his brothers. Joseph says multiple things. He says, I am Joseph. Good. Then he says, is father still alive? Ultimately, our ultimate perspective on this, the final perspective that we're sharing is that he was subtly critiquing them. He was criticizing them for what they had done. Not because he was upset, but because of what they had done to their father. But he says immediately thereafter, I'm still your brother. I still love you. I still love you. It wasn't right what you did. Love doesn't mean that you're blind to flaws. Right? A loving parent is not one who looks away from flaws and who says, you know what, uh, let, let, let the flaw stand. A loving parent says, okay, here, here, here are some flaws, but does it from a place of love, not from a place of ego, not from a place of anger, not from a place of frustration, not from a place of any negative energy, but from a place of pure love. Joseph says, Hani Yosef, Haoravichai, I'm Joseph. Is father still alive? Or how could father still be alive? How could... So what you did was wrong, but I'm still your brother. I've always been your brother. Even as you sold me into Egypt to slavery, I was your brother. And I harbor no ill feelings because God put me here for a purpose. And that purpose is to sustain you and your families. I'm going to take care of you. I'm not upset at you. I'm, 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 I'm going to take care of you. But what you did to dad wasn't right. This is a way to rebuke. So it's easier to take one of two extremes in life for you and I. Let's, let's just talk about us. It's easier to take one of two extremes. It's easier to either just say, you know what? I'm going to overlook everything. I'm just not going to comment, not going to get just everything's fine. I'm going to wear, you know, I'm going to wear blinders and, and it's all good. I'm not going to get involved. No critique, no, no negative. Uh, that's, that's easy. The other, the other extreme is also easy, which is you just rip into the other person. What's harder is to do it right which means that when you notice something, because you actually love them, so you want to say something, but you do so in a thought-out way, 
in a non-reactive way, in a way that can be helpful, in a way that can be productive. You emphasize throughout how much you love that, them and that you're only mentioning this for the growth, for the positive purpose. This is the masterclass in communication or the masterclass in positive criticism. Constructive. Constructive. Constructive criticism that we learn from Joseph. But we can't fake it. If you're really upset, but you say, oh, I still love you, it just, it rings hollow. It's got to be genuine. There's a phrase that goes like this. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So step one is you have to actually care. If you're saying something because you're indignant and how dare they or how dare they, then just, this is just shaking your fist you know, at the sky. Then what's, what's the point? If you really want to have an impact, if you really want to have an influence in someone, you have to have a relationship. You have to really care, and you have to really care, and they have to know that you care. So Joseph actually starts off the other way. Maybe that's why it didn't work right away. Joseph first leans into the critique, and then he emphasizes the love. If I were to offer him some loving critique, Joseph, I love you. I love you, man. But maybe start with I'm your brother, and I have no ill feelings. But what about dad? Maybe that would be the right way to do it. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not critiquing, huh? How could he not have ill feelings? They sold him into slavery. That's, well, that was Joseph. Joseph, is, Joseph was like that. Joseph was, his mindset was, he stayed positive, and he didn't give any power to anyone else. To be a victim means he's relinquishing power. That's true. So he's not, he's not ready to do that. He's not willing to do that. He's not... For Joseph to say, you guys, because of you, my life is ruined. You know what that means? That for 22 years, they're holding power over him. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. Cut, 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 cut. He cut all those cords years ago. He's free. Joseph is free to be whatever he wants. Sure, this happened, that happened, the other thing happened. But Joseph said he's snipping the lines, snipping the wires. He's saying, I'm free to choose how I want to create my life in this situation. I, I didn't choose to be here, but now that I am here, I can choose what this looks like. And that's, and that's a powerful lesson overall. Yeah. But tonight we're focusing on the, the moment of confession, that moment of truth. What does he say? He critiques, and then he doubles down on the love. And that's the way to communicate. Always communicate with love. May the right arm always embrace, and on occasion, when needed, the weaker arm should, uh, should critique, but only when necessary and only from a place of that love. All right, let's, uh, so that's, thus concludes formally our Torah studies class. The moral of the story is love and because you love, want the best for the other and try to help guide them there when appropriate. All right, questions, comments. Actually, before I open up the floor for questions and comments, I, I, I need to mention Tomorrow night, we have the event to end all events or to begin all events. This is a live and in-person event. Remember um, bookstores? Remember bookstores? <laughs> used to be. Before Amazon, before Rainforest, there were bookstores. There used to be um, Borders, Barnes & Noble. Still is Barnes & Noble. But bookstores, you walked in, you smelled books. You heard the story about the, um, 
The guy who walks into the Barnes & Noble and asks for any books on paranoia. And the bookseller says, it's right behind you. It's right behind you. You with me? All right. Anyway, so um, tomorrow night in celebration of the Jewish Day of Books. Yes, there is a Jewish Day of Books on the Jewish calendar. The fifth day of Tevet is the Jewish Day of Books. It's a day to buy a Jewish book. Not a novel written by a Jew. That's also good. But we're talking about like Jewish books, books of Torah, Torah-based Jewish books. doesn't have to be a Bible, but, you know, some sort of Jewish thought book. We have right here in this building we're in, we're in right now, downstairs in Jeff's place, we're going to have over 100 different titles, 100, not different books, 100 of the same book, 100 different titles that you can peruse. You can smell the print and the paper, nothing like a, a, a book, and you can purchase books as well. You can learn about the history of the Jewish press, not the Jewish press, Jewish press, but the Jewish printing <laughs> press. That's another, right? The Jewish printing press. And you can be part of this incredible experience in celebration of Jewish books and find Jewish literature. Join me Thursday evening, 7 p.m., cocktail reception, multimedia experience, and book sale. This is all happening right here. <laughs> Um, at Intown Jewish Academy in Jeff's place tomorrow evening, 7 p.m. Everyone's invited, and feel free to invite all your friends and family and those anyone who appreciates a good book. I should also mention, speaking of books, Sunday night, this coming Sunday night, we have our first of this new year, the first um, Jewish book club session at 8 p.m. right here. We have a, it's going to be a dual program in person and on Zoom. So if you want more information about that, check out the website, intownjewishacademy.org. For both of them, check that stuff out. Um, I think that's all the news now. Oh, save the date. December 25th. What, what's happening now? Saturday night. Shabbat. What? Saturday night after Shabbat. Shabbat. We're having a Chinese dinner oh. and a movie. Of yes. Kratzmach. Yes. Bishvil Kratzmach, yes. Yes. In honor of the Chag, in honor of the holiday, we are going to do what Jews have traditionally done. Eat Chinese food and watch movies. And we'll have a little, a little, uh, a little uh, conversation there. I have a few surprises up my sleeve, but it's going to be an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet with meat, chicken, and vegetarian options. So join us. Well, it's not on the website yet. The information is probably going to go out tomorrow or the next day, Thursday or Friday. Stay tuned for that. It's going to, we're going to sell this out. So get as soon as you see that, if you want good food, great movie, and uh, just great people and great conversations, get in while the getting's good for December 25th. All right. We'll, we'll now open the floor to conversations and uh, questions. I have just, ooh, I got to actually run to, the, to another class. Um, so jump in with, uh, we'll do a few minutes, three or four minutes. If you have a question or comment. Any critique? Joking. Um, or not. But only with love. Rabbi. Steve, yeah. Um, Abraham answered Hineni. Maybe the where are you question is implied there. Uh, but, uh, but, but there's one instance where uh, he who is asked gives an answer. Yeah. Yeah, you're saying it's not so rhetorical. 
He says, Hineni. Yeah. Good. Good, good, good. This is good stuff. Very practical. Thank you, Paul. Always great to see you. Very, yes. How is, how is Joseph not liable in some way for, his, for not letting his father know? That's Ray's question. This, yes. I, I call I this I call this raised question because yeah, I question. the question the question is always better than the answer. I'm going to read to you from my notes. You ready? There are many answers to this question, and a number of them centering, centering on the same theme. Joseph was aware of the divine plot at stake in his sojourn to Egypt. As such, telling his father would disrupt that plan, so he opted to let God play it out as he saw fit, despite the immense pain. Another simple answer is that Joseph assumed that his father was in on the plot to sell him. After all, Jacob rebuked Joseph when he initially shared his dreams of domination. And Jacob had sent him <laughs> to the brothers, if you recall. He said, check on the brothers, even though he knew the brothers were upset. So maybe he thought that, if, that their father was in on the plot. And he knew about it. You with me? Yeah? I, but then why did he rebuke his brothers? That's what I'm saying. You've got to silo these things. Not, not necessarily is everything going to work with everything. It's, it's diff, shiv and panamatari. You have 70 facets. So what works in one space might not work with another space. You might have you know, a mutually exclusive uh, um, uh, perspectives. And that's, I'm okay with that. Like, it may not work with one of the things that we mentioned today, but on its own, it could work as to why Joseph didn't send up a message. Maybe he thought, Dad knew. Right. How does that fit with this? It doesn't. Right. Um, or Joseph assumed that his father had died, and coupled with the knowledge that his brothers hated him, there was no one back home to inform. I guess maybe he thought that his brothers were lying the whole time. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, who knows? Yeah. There could be different... different um, Interpretations, that one would work with, with the, the ideas that we had. In other words, he assumed that Jacob would have been so broken over his 22 years of not being there that by this point he would have died, and that when the brothers said their father's still alive, they were probably just fibbing. They were probably just not, not telling the truth. I mean, okay, after all, I, yeah. I have one more quick question. Um, why, was, why was Jacob punished so much? Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that. I, I agree with you. Terrible, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob had a lot of suffering. He had drama and trauma yeah, with his yeah. bro twin brother. He went to Laban, right, yeah. uh, for, for two decades and had to deal with his uncle slash father-in-law. He right. wanted to get married to one girl, ended up with another girl, and right. then it's all this drama. His daughters abducted and assaulted Dina. And, um, and then after all of this drama, finally... He wants to settle, and then, then the Joseph drama springs on him. When he meets Pharaoh in this week's Torah portion, when they come down to Egypt and he meets Pharaoh, he tells Pharaoh, I've lived a miserable life. I've lived a very, very difficult life. I'm miserable, maybe I'm embellishing a little bit. I remember the Hebrew. He says, very, very difficult life I've lived. And, and it's absolutely true. Why? I have, no, I have no idea. Yeah, Donna. Today at DPP, I think it was today, you said that... The, the more suffering becomes the greater the person. Uh, yeah. No, no pain, no gain. The greater the, the greater the darkness, the greater potential for light. 100%. But why him? 
Why, why did he need so much light? Isn't that what Tevye says? Right? Couldn't you have chosen someone else? Right? I know we're the chosen people, but can't you choose someone else once in a while? In words, I, 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 know, I know this is a growth opportunity, but, but can someone else start growing? Like, can I, can I be okay with my growth already? Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for that. It, these are ultimately questions that touch on the divine plan, which I don't have the playbook on that. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'm going to sign off, and I got to run. All right. Lila Tov, everybody. I want to wish everybody a good night and an inspirational rest of the week into Shabbos. And let's remember to always put love first before the criticism, and it just makes everything more pleasant and more acceptable. All right. See you. Hope to see you tomorrow night. Take care, everybody. Bye, y'all. Are you going to do this hybrid version in Death Nuts?